do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. All Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify. And we become president, and you are the happiest people. I am not allowed to say what's going to happen today, because everyone's just going to have to watch. The president has just tweeted, I'm going to read his tweet, uh, he wrote, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. Welcome to Justice Above All, a podcast from the Legal Defense Fund's Thurgood Marshall Institute. I'm Keisha Moore, Senior Researcher at the Thurgood Marshall Institute and your host for this episode. The insurrection of January 6th was incited by years of political maneuvering to limit the access to the ballot for voters of color. The last two years, we've seen a flood of voter suppression laws that disproportionately impact communities of color and chip away at our democracy across the country. Voter ID laws, registration requirements, limitations on voting times, and voter roll purges all keep mostly black and brown voters from the polls. But despite the long lines and health dangers facing them, many voters of color turned out in November 2020 to have their say in who should represent them. When they could not be deterred from voting, some politicians and domestic terrorists attempted to invalidate their votes through violence. The mis- and disinformation spread throughout the 2020 election cycle, and the attempted coup on January the 6th had the chilling effect of undermining public faith in the legitimacy of U.S. elections. And this behavior, these suppressive tactics and efforts to widely peddle disinformation, is known as election sabotage. Election sabotage threatens our democracy, and like voter suppression, it is a backlash to black political power. Christina Das, an attorney for LDF's Prepare to Vote and Voting Rights Defender projects, explains how voter suppression and election sabotage occupy different parts of the cycle of limiting democracy. While voter suppression is the ongoing and sustained limitation of access to the ballot box, election sabotage happens once the doors to the polls have closed. Election subversion really happens the moment that the polls close and we talk about certifying elections or we think we're towards future elections. How are our elections going to operate? How are we supporting elections administrators? How do the building blocks of democracy and elections work? If we subvert or sabotage the 
methods in place to conduct our elections, to count ballots, to support the stewards of our democracy or elections, those elections administrators and poll workers, then our elections just won't work. So we're voting, but we're not having our voice truly heard. We're not having our vote counted. So to me, it's the life cycle um, of democracy that we're talking about and making sure that each stage is solidified and supported and that we have sustained support for um, both the voter, the elections worker, and the elections administrator. One of the main goals of a functioning democracy is to translate the needs of the electorate into outcomes that align with their preferences. Election sabotage includes any tactics that disrupt this process. These tactics can look like disinformation campaigns that intentionally confuse people about when elections are happening and how they can participate, or lies about the security and integrity of elections designed to undermine the public's faith in democracy. It seems like a quiet movement, but it's deeply disturbing. It is a trend that we're seeing. We're seeing a manipulation in our social media, in the dialogues we have in our communities, and really taking advantage of individuals with differing education levels and making sure that people have even less information. They have limited access to correct information when it comes to our elections, when it comes to that trust that we have in our electoral process, and perpetuating fear amongst the voter base and making sure that we don't have sustained involvement in our elections. It really serves to weaken the foundations of our democracy and also um, aids in limiting black and brown voters from accessing the ballot by creating more fear for those communities. I would say that it is the biggest um, threat to our democracy is both election sabotage, but specifically when it comes to mis- and disinformation, um, the dialogues that are created from, for, from the youngest voter to the oldest voter, confusing voters in a system that is already not voter friendly um, is extremely, extremely detrimental to our democracy. When you think of election sabotage, you might be thinking about big public displays of violence like the January 6th insurrection. But election sabotage isn't just about large-scale efforts to overturn the results of elections. The most dangerous sabotage tactics are subtle, so subtle that voters may not know they're confronting them. Election sabotage includes attempts to confuse voters, prevent them from making their voices heard, and undermine their trust in elections, even as public officials work tirelessly to maintain the security and integrity of elections. Tahisha Way is the Secretary of State of New Jersey, and she explains how even small-scale lies on social media can have ripple effects that undermine our elections. The thing about myths and disinformation, it could just even be on a small scale, something as the election date. And it can then generate on social media, the wrong date. And of course, if there are voters out there who follow that, they will show up on a different date. And also um, what we've witnessed in New Jersey is oftentimes um, the myths or disinformation pertaining to polling place. And of course, 
That is why you as a voter want to make certain that you stay connected to your local county and state election officials who could serve as the trusted voices and give you the accurate information, such as your polling locations, such as voter registration deadlines, even such as the date of election day. It's no surprise that election sabotage has taken center stage at this moment in history. The 2020 election saw the highest turnout of voters of color in American history. Black and brown voters overcame misinformation in some of the most restrictive voter suppression laws in decades to make their voices heard. And when voter suppression and intimidation didn't keep black and brown communities away from the polls, political operatives launched a last resort, a campaign to delegitimize and overturn the results of the election. A campaign that got so out of control, LDF had to legally challenge attempts to overturn what was a fair and legitimate election. The campaign weaved false narratives that the election was, quote, stolen, that voters in states with large communities of color had large numbers of deceased people voting that election administrators in certain areas were throwing out ballots. That spiraled into wild conspiracies that fueled the attack on the Capitol. And this disinformation festered, and it put election workers and administrators' lives at risk by claiming that they were attempting to rig the election. A Georgia election worker testified during the January 6th hearings about the hate and vitriol she and her mother faced as election workers due to the spread of disinformation. In December of 2020, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani latched on to spliced surveillance footage of Shay and her mom carrying out their normal duties as election workers. Then President Trump claimed that they were, quote, hustlers and, quote, professional vote scammers. Giuliani even compared the women to drug dealers, lobbing baseless claims of election tampering at them. And the spread of this disinformation had real and dangerous consequences for election workers across the country. And those horrible things, that they include threats? Yes, a, a lot of threats, um, wishing death upon me, um, telling me that, you know, I'm, I'll be in jail with my mother and saying things like, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920. That's, yeah. Were, were a lot of these threats and, and vile comments racist in nature? A lot of them were racist. A lot of them were just hateful. Ms. Moss, how has this experience of being targeted by the former president and his allies affected your life? It's turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. 
I, um, I don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. I don't go to the grocery store at all. I haven't been anywhere um, at all. I've gained about 60 pounds. I just don't do nothing anymore. I don't want to go anywhere. I second guess everything that I do. Um, it's affecting my life in a, in a major way, in every way, all because of lies. Attacks on election workers, public lies about the specter of fraud, misinformation, and intimidation aimed at keeping voters home on election day. These are not new tactics. Ever since the Reconstruction era, white supremacists have responded to expansions in black political power with campaigns to roll it back. In those days, a black voter might be threatened with violence just for coming near a polling place. When that didn't work, it wasn't uncommon for dominant parties to stuff ballot boxes or tamper with general election results to keep themselves in power. And today, we're seeing this general trend resurface. Just as we saw during the Reconstruction era, when black voters mobilized to sway an election, a backlash ensues to diminish their political power. And this effort to silence black voters impacts election workers and administrators as well, exposing them to threats and risk to their safety. The good news is that elections today are secure. Voter fraud is virtually non-existent and there are many checks in place to ensure that votes are counted and reported fairly. We no longer have to worry about ballot box stuffing or coordinated voter fraud, although social media dis and misinformation pose new and unique threats. We now have a robust army of frontline workers dedicated to protecting American democracy our election officials and poll workers. I've always applauded election workers, especially during the time of the pandemic, working overtime, making sure that voters could cast their ballot. And if you really think about the election worker, you know, they're not doing this for glory. They're really just doing this just because they have a heart for service and they want to do good within their community. So when you hear about or you witness um, these threats that are being leveled against um, election workers, it's very unfortunate because it truly impacts our election bench. It can impact the morale of our election workers. It can even undermine the ability to retain staff. So at the core of all of this, you want to have a decent bench of election workers because without them, then there would not be any elections. Election workers and administrators are the frontline workers of our democracy. Without them, essential electoral functions just don't happen. Both 
Secretary Wei, and Christina Das say that prioritizing safety for election workers is a first step to combating election sabotage. I think about how we want to create more of a wider bench, if you will, for our young election workers who would be the next generation of leaders in this space. I also turn to how, you know, you want to incentivize uh, poll worker recruitment. I know in New Jersey, we just raised poll worker wages to support better recruitment. But even with that, you still have various counties who, you know, have somewhat of a difficulty trying to maintain those poll workers staffing levels as a result of folk are, you know, fear or or, you know, have heard and do not even want to be in a place where there could be potential threats. And the general public agrees. A poll from Protect Democracy indicates that 79% of voters support allowing election officials to request that a court step in to protect them from intimidation. 78% of voters support issuing guidance to election administrators on how to respond to intimidation or interference. To truly combat the threat of election sabotage, we need to work toward building a robust, multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy that includes supporting election administrators and increasing the diversity of election workers. I work in Texas and South Carolina. We regularly speak to elections workers and we monitor polls in a nonpartisan manner. And 80 to 90 percent of the poll managers or clerks who are the leaders of their respective polling sites are white Americans. Great people doing their jobs upholding democracy, but it oftentimes helps voters to see individuals that look like them administering their elections. Um, the same goes for lawyers or social workers. We want to see ourselves reflected in um, people in positions of power. So we need to have a sustained approach at recruiting and training poll workers and elections administrators of color, which also means um, diversifying our hiring and having better pay. Um, so making sure that our taxpayer dollars are going to a diverse uh, pool of elections workers that speak languages like us and look like us. I think that we need to ask ourselves how we can expand the narrative and expand our recruitment of elections administrators and poll workers. These jobs are critical and consistently underfunded and um, underutilized. We don't have enough poll workers in South Carolina or Texas in any given election. We're facing polls shutting down in Dallas County and other counties across North and Central Texas um, in the aftermath of laws like SB1 that are criminalizing our elections administrators and elections workers. How can we support these workers? How can we recruit and train them? We should be encouraging individuals um, from a young age to want to work for our elections, to want to help sustain democracy. And there are even more ways to strengthen our democracy like helping the public understand election processes and working together to protect our democracy. We can come together to preserve a vision of democracy that truly works for us.
I think the first premise is always to realize that democracy is a team sport. There should be some partnerships, advocacy groups, partners all around in different spaces. That's what we've been trying to attempt to do in New Jersey. I start with our NJ Votes campaign or an initiative, which we had launched during the pandemic, just so that uh, we could bring our voters together and bring different partners together, host various webinars, and just highlight the essentials in the process of our elections. I know we have translated the NJ Votes Campaign into now the NJ Civic Engage initiative, of course, still bringing different constituencies together who know their voters best on the community level. We're talking about um, coalescing with your faith-based communities, your academic communities, uh, your sororities, your fraternities, your business groups, and many more so that they can too reach voters um, who they on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, whatever it is, and give them the tools that they need, the proper information too, so that when a voter not only casts their ballot, they are educated, they are engaged, and they are activated in the process. We should have complete faith in our elections administrators. We should have complete faith in our systems of nonpartisan election administration, and that we should encourage every eligible voter to be active and participate in every election from the hyper-local to the national, from the um, bottom up, and focus on what we know to be true is that American democracy is strongest when we all participate and that we all should get involved more than at the ballot box. We should be going to our local county commissioner hearings. We should be running for office. We should be joining um, various civic organizations and being involved in civic life. Fight the fear and fight the disinformation by using your voice, getting active in your community and making sure that our democracy is really robust. And that means showing up in every facet of life, uh, of civic life, and making sure that we have the multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy that we truly um, can have in America. Um, we're approaching a majority-minority nation. It's a beautiful thing, and we need to not act from a place of fear because that is what voter, um, anti-voter um, organizations and individuals want from us. They want us to focus on the big lie. They want us to act from a place of fear so I really focus on acting from a place of strength and resilience, which we know that um, Black Americans have always um, focused and, you know, been resilient throughout the years of fighting voter suppression in this country. This has been another episode of Justice Above All. This episode has been produced by Kesey Devenny and Jackie O'Neill. Thank you to Secretary Wei and Christina Das for joining us on this episode. If you want to keep up with the work of the Legal Defense Fund, please visit our website at www.naacpldf.org. To keep up with the research of the Thurgood Marshall Institute, 
please visit our website at tminstituteldf.org. Please also consider following the Legal Defense Fund on Twitter at NAACP underscore LDF and the Thurgood Marshall Institute at TMI underscore LDF. Thank you for listening.